Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hello, friends. Welcome to the special hurricane edition of We Gotta Talk. My phone is apparently on. Things are beeping. I'm in a full body sweat. And we are mere hours from getting, hopefully not, but potentially slammed by a hurricane in Orlando. And my guest is also a Floridian. So let's bring her on. She's the founder of Wine and Cheese. It's a very popular, I hate to say mom blog, Rachel, but it's kind of true. And it's a good thing these days and also social media star. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me as we hunker down for hurricane time. Rachel's in her closet. Is this a normal <laughs> podcast spot or is this, this a hurricane is, spot? No, this is where I have nowhere else to go. I have like one of those open concept houses. So like yeah. I have nowhere to go. This is my, this is my office. The clothes do really cushion the sound. I'm in this, <laughs> I'm in like technically an office and it sounds like I'm reverberating. I say it's like I'm broadcasting from a Tupperware container. It's just, right. I'll, I'll get professional one day, Rachel. <laughs> Today's not the day. Why bother? You're good. Well, you know, you know, we just roll with it around here. Um, tell us where you are geographically. I'm in South Florida. So we're kind of watching from yes. a distance, everything going down. But I am in South Florida, which is also like a mini New York and, you know, a little bit transient, a little of everything. And I've been here my whole life, minus about 13 years where I was in the Northeast. Okay. So you grew up in the Northeast and then moved down? Nope. I grew up, born in the Northeast, grew up down here yeah. and then moved away after college and did the whole, you know... Manhattan, New England tour and mm-hmm. tried to get out of Florida. Um, and it was great. It was wonderful. But Florida is my home. We have to talk about Florida. Florida is technically not my home. It is now. And I love it in many ways. But mm-hmm. like, I have a really hard time telling people why Florida is nice because all they see are horrible headlines about horrible, horrible. We have, horrible. If you like, if you played a game where you put the weirdest, craziest, most graphic headlines up, it's always like 99% of the time it's Florida. It's insane. And my producer, Rachel, was on. She was chatting with us before the show. We worked in news together. And Rachel, the stuff that we would cover, it would just, I mean, um, you know, because you would watch it. It would literally blow blow your socks off. I mean, the one that sticks out to me is the man who ate the other man's face off. Yes. With because the bath, he, was he took in. bath salts. Bath salts. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. If Producer Rachel, if you think of any other crazy Florida stories, just pop on at any point. And, and if you're watching, you'll see her pop in. If you're not, you'll just hear her different voice. But yeah, it's insane. But you know... I, I, you know, I don't want to get political because everybody has strong opinions when it comes to politics in Florida, but I will say unexpectedly the best place to ride out the pandemic. And thankfully we didn't have any situations where we had to be overly concerned, no immunocompromised issues in our family, knock on wood. So, you know, I know I'm not speaking for everybody and we have to put that qualifier out there. It wasn't a picnic for us or anything, but it was a decent place to be. You could be outside. You could let your kids run. Do you feel the same? I do. I think that we got very lucky, especially having lived in New York and Boston and lived in the the high rise doorman building situation. I kept thinking about that. Like at least my kids have a pool and a backyard. And I mean, we we lived outside for most of it because at least they got to, you know, get their vitamin D and hang out and run around. But yes, I agree completely. It would have been much harder to be in a city. Yeah, I went up north. I'm from Pittsburgh to like uh, do some family things in the middle of the pandemic. And even the energetic vibe, it was really tense and nervous. And in Florida, everyone's like, listen, just cough in the other direction. You know, it was... <laughs> 
they wouldn't even let us in the they kicked my dad out of a coffee shop and i was like dude he's like a 70 year old man with like three face masks on anyway um what a ride so what are you doing for the hurricane you said you guys aren't in the line of um the storm for once yeah we're doing nothing i mean we we you know we're always prepared because we're water hoarders on a good day so we always have like four pallets of water from costco i mean what else can you do i feel like we get warning it's mother nature we have snacks like my kids are off school i'm hiding in here working (laughs) um so there's really we're not alarmist we're just not like that um and so we kind of just ride it out watch the news my husband is the least of an alarmist. He thinks it's ridiculous that school is canceled tomorrow already. Um, and so, you know, we're just kind of hanging out as if we're just waiting for some bad weather and nothing more. Yeah, it's a really trippy thing because I was not, you know, like I said, not raised down here. So I'm just entering the phase of trying to be calm about it because for a long time, it just really worked me up. I'm like, it's you literally wait days. You watch this giant monster on a map slowly crawl toward your house or you know mm-hmm. toward your city it is for the medical anxiety person in me literally a version of one of my nightmares but i really i feel like very proud this year i've we've we've been relatively calm i've been relatively calm i i was talking to producer rachel before this it's not even the watching the hurricane it's the people on social media that make me insane that turn into professional meteorologists and start like commenting on what's going to happen <laughs> and that's the part that gets me ragey because i'm like listen we have professionals for this just calm down take a seat, stay in your lane and let's just let everyone else handle this. And you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. They're like, this spaghetti model is showing. <laughs> <at the store." laughs> You're like, no, Brenda, stop. Yep. I know it's really a oh, gosh. And social media is just a shit storm as is. It let's, is. Uh, well, you know what? We should start there. And so Rachel, like I've been following you personally. I know you through a fellow contact of ours, Amy, who runs the mother of all baby showers and forever and ever. She's been like, this girl, Rachel. And I was like, dude, I, I follow her. I know she is. She's like, she's the best. You guys got to connect. I have from afar watched your hilarious takes on motherhood for a while. <laughs> and just, you know, you're one of those people who make us feel less alone. And really, I feel like that's the biggest service we can provide in this space of whatever, of mom blogging or mom, po- whatever you want to call it, because there's very few experts. All I want to do is know that I'm not crazy. Yeah. And you know what? I think that they're really, aside from like people who have medical degrees and all that stuff, none of us are experts. None of us know what what the right and wrong thing to do is. And I think that's one of the most important takeaways in motherhood is that we feel like we, we have to stay true to these really crazy societal standards and all these things about what are what a mother should be, what she should look like, what she should wear, when she should go to work, how she should parent her children. And I think it's very easy to get in your head and get caught up in all those things. And it's really funny because when I started this journey, I don't think I thought it would turn into this. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I say this happened accidentally on purpose because I've always been a writer. I've always been a speaker. Those are always been things that have been in my wheelhouse. But once I started to focus on motherhood and marriage and especially the messier parts that people weren't openly talking talking about, that's when I really saw communities emerge and everyone leaning on each other. And like you said, people feel seen. People just want to feel seen at the end of the day, especially mothers. It's very polarizing to be a mother. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I've never known you could fight about more things than in motherhood. And we like, I want to like jump into so many things with you right off the top, but I'm going to try to pace myself. (laughs) Um, Yeah. People have opinions on sleep training from when they're babies. People have opinions on discipline and how you should raise your kids. And when they're in a restaurant, it's the commentary on how you're kids are behaving as if it's just so rife with possibilities for criticism that it's just crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, and not only that, it's the self-imposed guilt and the self-imposed criticism. Because when I look at myself as a first-time mother 13 years ago, I had my kids very far apart because of a divorce. And when I look at myself as a first-time mother, I was that mother who was checking you know, the emails to see what size my baby was during my pregnancy. Every week I was doing cute little pictures. I was reading labels on every single baby food and snack and making sure I wasn't crossing any lines with going too fast. And then cut to like my second child two weeks before I turn 40 and she's eating chimichurri steak when she's starting solids. So I think that we change as mothers too. And, and I think people are so scared to deviate from whatever they perceive as the norm. And they also feel that self-imposed guilt and pressure more when they watch other mothers around them, whether it's in mommy and me or preschool or whatever it is, it's hard to not look at other people and compare yourself. I think it's a human way of thinking, but we have to stop doing that because we are all different. I mean, my neighbor who I adore, who lives next door to me, we could not be more different. She's making kale smoothies and pumpkin muffins every day on Instagram. And I'm like hiding McDonald's bags, walking into my house and we're waving across the driveway. But that's okay. Cause you coexist and you can still love each other and still coexist as mothers and just admit that you're doing things differently. I think it's the judgment and the passive aggressiveness and all that stuff that really gets in the way of mothers gelling. Tell us how old your kids are now, Rachel. I have an almost 14-year-old and a five-year-old. Yeah. Okay. So you've got the age gap too. So you're kind of in yeah. two worlds. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and and I think you really hit the nail on the head saying the acceptance of like self in the process. Like at some point, whether it's sheer exhaustion or just because you finally believe it, you just stop caring what other people think. For me, it was sheer exhaustion. And I think those are my happiest days of motherhood. Just being like, whatever happiest days of motherhood and it's freedom. It's liberating. I think when you do that with anything in life, I think when you go through the rough stuff, like a lot of the stuff I've written about, when you learn to let go, which is not easy. Not I've never said it's easy. I know that it's a very difficult thing mentally, especially if you're like me. I'm very type A. I'm very, I need to be in control of things. And so when you learn to let go of things and kind of go with the flow a little bit, it really is an, an extremely liberating feeling that changes the course of, of motherhood. Yeah. What advice do you have then for newish moms, moms to be who are, you know, you want to kind of walk that line between being prepared and understanding what's happening mm -hmm. in your body and with your soon to be here baby, but also like giving yourself grace. I think that the most important thing that I've always told people is you don't have to do all the things, right? Like you're going to read parenting books and you're going to read websites and you're going to talk to other mothers and mothers are amazing resources. They really are. We have, we are filled with information that you don't necessarily get from a pediatrician or a psychologist because we're in the trenches. It's very different, but all of it is to be taken with a grain of salt because everyone's experience is different. So just because someone's kid was rolling over at four months old, three months old, and yours was not until you, you can't get caught up in the metrics and the milestones and all of those things. You have to kind of focus on staying in your lane and what you're doing and what feels right for you. And you don't have to take every single piece of advice you've gotten. You don't have to add every single thing to your baby registry. You don't have to, if you want to co-sleep, co-sleep. If you want to breastfeed, breastfeed. If you want to have a glass of wine and not pump and dump, do it. Like there's all these things we feel like we have to stick to like their gospel. And there is no gospel in motherhood. If your children are happy, and healthy and fed and cared for, it's great. And I think the biggest, another big piece of advice I like to give people is if you are doing something as a mother that is, I mean, everything eats away at our sanity, but if you're doing something that is compromising your sanity, like my heart hurts when I see these mothers who are struggling and they're like, I have to breastfeed. I have to do it. It's so important. Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. I breastfed two kids, but you know what? When I started to feel like it was eating away at my sanity and I wasn't functioning at full capacity, I stopped. And guess what? 
my children are both thriving. It doesn't matter if one was breastfed for six months or eight months or whatever it is. You do the best you can as a mother every day. And if your children are happy and you're happy, that is the most important thing that you could possibly hope for. Yeah, it's so hard. And hasn't social media changed so much since our kids were like, you have an almost 14 year old. I have an almost 10 year old. So kind of the same. But Mm -hmm. I, I mean, social media back then, it was like, your latte in the morning with like, a, you know, it was like, you know, this is my breakfast. I remember coming across this one. Oh, this just still really grates on me. This woman that I knew and she had had kids around the same time as me. And every post on her social media, whether it was Facebook or whatever, was like, oh, the gift of motherhood. And here I am with a bleeding nipple in a nursery and a baby that's like literally gnawing parts of my body off. And I'm like, you bitch, you know, like I was so And it wasn't a lack of love for my child, but it was just, and then I had to step back and check myself because I'm like, son, you know what? Undoubtedly, she's going through her own thing. This is just what she's choosing to show the world. So have some grace for that too. But man, it used to really get my goat. Well, well, that's the thing. That's the thing with social media, right? Is that people show us what they want us to see in most respects. Like those of us who are doing this for a living and it's our livelihood, I think we have a responsibility to be more vulnerable and to be more real. But there are people out there who do it as a hobby and that's okay. You want to show your right. letter boards and your white picket fence and all that stuff. If that's what gets you through the day, you do you. Like that's right. not real life. It's not. I I, I mean, I- Letter boards, the, the, I'm sorry. <laughs> a letter board thing. I know this is going to sound crazy. I have an irrational angle anger towards letter boards because because who has the time to sit and like have these tiny little plastic letters that you're perfectly placing like I can barely write a note to put my kids lunch so I just feel like let's keep it real and like if if you listen there are mothers who pack these beautiful bento box lunches every day that are more impressive than anything I've eaten in my entire life at a Michelin star (laughs) restaurant and if that's what brings you happiness and joy I wish I was built like that I wish I could do that I can't I can't you know what I realized it's the the bento box mom probably really mails it in in other parts of her life just a hundred percent you know what I mean yes Yes. we are not all all like, you know, twirling yes. all the plates and like, you know, making magic all the time. There's always, I really had a problem with that too, like being a working mom. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I know you, a lot of your work now is, is centered around your home, but you know, uh, getting people to under getting women to understand that like, you really can't do it all. And I don't know who's, I don't know who's been mailing in the script for us that we should be working full time or working from home and raising a baby and breastfeeding and giving a BJ to our husbands every night. You know, like yeah, what? No, like what? Not. You, no. you got like something's no. got to stop keep. it. Just stop it. You're ruining. It. If you aren't those people every day who's like, uh, my husband, and I have sex every single night. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> stop it. Like, yes, you want a healthy sex life and you want intimacy and all those things that do help drive your marriage, but stop ruining it for the rest of us and talking about your daily BJs. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear it. it. You know no. what it is? It's a water closet at 4 p.m. <laughs> when all the kids are upstairs watching a movie that's real life that's it that's it yeah oh you know our standards really go down as moms but you know (laughs) all in the name of survival um okay we were talking we have to dig into this this is a whole subset of things and guys we're going to scare you off if your kid doesn't do this but I don't care because this is such good good gossip territory you're a dance mom Rachel I'm a dance mom. Okay, wait, you were just telling this crazy story. Speaking of moms, speaking of being judged by people, you're like a very well-known person. So guys, if you go to her Instagram, it's wine and cheese, it's W-H-I-N-E and cheese. It's um, on Instagram. I mean, you have a ton of followers. People know who you are, but basically you do really document parts of your life. We don't see your kids a ton, but people know you. And as a result, people see you out in public and they're like, that's Rachel. So tell everybody what you were saying before we started taping. 
So I was in my daughter's dance studio a couple, a few weeks ago, and I'm sitting with my girlfriend and we're talking and I always have my laptop with me because I'm always working. I mean, I'm sure you understand, like when you're running your own stuff, you're not getting paid if you're not working. So I am constantly working. My laptop is a very um, shameless plug with my picture and wine and cheese. It's all over it. And so I just, you know, I am always hustling. And all of a sudden I see this woman across the away from me and I hear her say wine and cheese it's <gasps> and then I hear her say bitch disgusting all these things and I'm looking at my friend and I'm like she's talking about me like is this what? Right now? wait and in the same room let me just same clarify room, same room right across from me and I'm like this can't be real life it can't be and oh I have a big mouth I do but I'm not a mean girl I am super kind I am very easy to get along with I have a, a big network of girlfriends I'm a girl's girl like I'm I'm not trying to like you know, sound like cocky, but I'm very, I'm a delight is what I'm saying. I <laughs> believe you. Listen, so, I'm on your side, girl. Go. <laughs> so I'm listening and I'm like, this can't be real. And I'm trying really hard to figure out because it my, my gut, my gut wants to stand up and walk over and be like, I, can, is there something wrong? Like I wanted to be confrontational about it, but Part of me is thinking, okay, there's many reasons I can't do that. Number one, I'm in my child's dance studio. There's four-year-olds walking around with tutus and tap shoes on. And like, is this the time and place to get into a mom argument? Like, that's not my style. Number two, I am very aware that people are cell phone crazy now. They take out their cameras to record everything. You have a 10-year-old. I don't know if they have a phone or not, but my my older child has a phone. I've seen fights at school on TikTok, all these things. And mm -hmm. I'm like, do I want to be the next person that gets up and starts confronting this woman? And then I'm videotapes and I look like the aggressor and it's all over social media. Like, Not that I take up that much importance, but people do know who I am down here. I do have a local following. It, it, I am recognized in public. It happens. But I was so fearful of what the consequences would be, even though I was the victim in the situation situation that I decided in that moment, you know what, this is going to be a teachable moment for my daughters. It's going to be a teachable moment for moms. Hopefully I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to think about this for a second. And then of course I took out my cell phone and I wrote a passive aggressive meme. That's <laughs> the only way to fight back these days. Only way to fight back. And I didn't name anyone. I didn't. All I said basically was exactly what happened. I'm sitting in my daughter's dance studio and there is a mother across from me talking about me right in front of my face using words like bitch and disgusting. And people wonder why we have a mean girl epidemic. And it, I mean, that went so viral. People were commenting. Everyone was going crazy. I was getting DMs and I was just like, you know what? I, everyone needs to learn from this. Like this is, this is going to change something. Someone's behavior is going to change. The next day, the girl who I, I know peripherally um, called me, she got my number and called me <gasps> and she said, I, I am sorry. You are a thousand percent right. I did exactly what you said. Uh, my friend saw your post and asked me if I'd seen it and I hadn't. And I looked at it and I read it and I stopped for a second and I said, she's right. I did those things. And she profusely apologized. She said I was fighting someone else's battle. Um, she's connected to someone who really doesn't like me for ridiculous reasons. And it's okay. Everyone doesn't have to like me, but we have to be kind. Um, and she basically said, I, I was so out of line. Um, it was very mean girl behavior. I'm embarrassed. I'm mortified. And all I can do is profusely apologize. And I hope you'll accept my apology. I had two choices. I could have been like, no, I don't accept it. You know, yeah, you're right. rude. Or I could say, you know what? We all fall down. We all fail. And if you're going to own it, it's not easy to make a phone call like that. It's not. That's a very hard thing to do for your pride. For It is. It's. I don't care if anyone thinks that apologizing is always the right thing. 
it, that's a hard phone call to make. So the fact that she did it, I gained a lot of respect for her. I, I said, you know, I, I accept your apology and we're good. Let's, let's move forward. Let's use this as a teachable moment. And we saw each other the next week. We hugged. It was fine. And it's good. It's all good. I give you, listen, first of all, I give her, I do give her credit. That takes a big, big person. And I give you credit for, for accepting the apology because it's really easy to just go back in our rabbit hole and be like, no. I'm not going to. That's so weird. Can we just reflect on, I say this all the time and I I don't want to be this person, but I'm going to be this person. Like I'm the biggest feminist there is. I love, I believe in women. I believe in the, uh, you know, being offered equal opportunities and, 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 you know, leaning into our unique strengths, but fucking hate women sometimes. We're the actual worst. Like why, why? And, and I would like to think that I don't lean into that behavior, but I had a recent, not a recent, but a similar experience on Instagram where someone accidentally sent me a crappy message about me that they meant to send to someone else in forward, you know, you hit the forward button and whatever. And, and I think to myself, God, like how old are we again? Like, I want to believe that we're better, Rachel, but it's just, this behavior just pops up this mean girl behavior. Yeah. I think, I don't know what it is, but I think that women have been pitted against each other since the beginning of time. I think that not to sound like a stereotypical feminist, but we've fought against patriarchal things for such a long time. We've, I think there's a very like one woman for herself mentality in a lot of ways, because we're fighting for airtime, we're fighting for jobs, we're fighting for salaries, we're fighting for, you know, motherhood things, we're fighting for all these things. And we're almost like conditioned to fight a little bit, which I think is not necessarily a bad thing, because I do look at my two little girls, and I want them to have an edge, I want them to have that sense of self where they're not afraid to be vocal and use their voice. But there's a fine line when you look at women between using your voice and being pegged as a bitch. And that is unfortunate. That yeah. is an upsetting thing. It's it's like the object of your wrath should not be enough. No individual woman is ever responsible for your issues and your shortcomings. But we're taught that if we take down this person, then that opens up that spot. That's not the case. And it took me to be an older woman to understand yeah. there really is room at the table for everyone. What you bring to the table, Rachel, I can never replicate. And so and I want to cheer you I, on. Yeah, I, you know, it's, but- it's, it's that scarcity mentality. And unfortunately, I, I don't know, like you said, if it was because we were raised to think there's only one token woman job in the room, so you better fight for it. I don't know why we're conditioned, but I really hope we change that narrative for our daughters. I also think, and with social media, again, you know, not to keep mentioning it, but it's so prevalent in, in a lot of things that affect our lives. I think with social media, there's a lot of insecurity and there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of people who see things that force them to kind of look in a mirror, whether you're talking about a marriage failing or a miscarriage or abusive parents or like whatever it is that you grew up in your life that you're sharing. Somebody sees that they get triggered and they get triggered in one of two ways. Sometimes they get triggered where they feel seen and they feel less alone, like you said in the beginning Mm -hmm. of this show. And sometimes they can't handle the hurt that is so deep inside them from any of those things or a combination that they lash out at you because you're the conduit of the information. And so they come for you. I've had it happen. So many angry messages, DMs. And I used to feel this need to stand up and defend myself and go after these people. And then I stopped. I was like, you know what? It's not about me. They're not coming because it's about me. I'm just an easy target because I posted something that hit a a nerve with them. And so they're just going to be a keyboard warrior. And I'm going to let them have their moment and let them get it out. And I'm not going to fight because it's there's nothing to fight. Well, how do you how do you determine like who is worth responding to, whether it be in DM or in person and who you need to just back off and let them go through that learning moment? 
So if someone is like straight up nasty, where they're just vile and nasty, I'll ignore it. And sometimes I even block them because I feel like I have worked really hard to build a community of women who have a safe space and can lean on each other and we can laugh and cry and go through all this together. So when I feel like someone is threatening that and they're going a little bit off the rails, I'll ignore it. And if I feel the need case by case, I will block them. If it's someone that I can tell, and and I think as a woman, you can tell, like, by the way someone words something, if there's a struggle going on and there's sadness and it's not so much anger, but it's this hurt, I really, I don't always engage, but I'll try and write something kind back. Like, you know, I'm so sorry that this struck a nerve with you and that was not my intention. And this is just my experience. And we all, and I try and come from a place of kindness. And usually I think, cause they're expecting me to fight back. It disarms them. And I've happened, I've had it happen more than once where someone will say, thank you so much for responding. And you're right. And I'm glad that we could have this conversation, even though we have differing opinions. And then we both go on our way. And that to me feels like a huge success because I'm not trying to proselytize to anyone. I'm not trying to change anyone's opinion and you can coexist and feel differently, but I just ask for respect. So if you want to disagree, you don't like something I'm saying, that's okay. My daughter tells me all the time that people down here, especially are mostly nice to me because they're afraid I'm going to write about them. (laughs) And you know what? She's not wrong. She's not wrong. Because I think that when we have these experiences as women, I do want to shine a light on shitty behavior that happens so that we can change that cycle. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about raising girls too, because like, wow, the the level of challenges, like we used to have to just worry about walking down the hallway and getting a crappy, you know, look from whatever, from the upperclassmen or from the other girls. Like now, like, oof, we can, we can, we're targets all over the place. And I I shouldn't say just girls, boys too. Um, What do you tell your daughter? Because they're facing so much more these days. So I'll tell you that, you know, I have a middle schooler and so far I know, listen, every stage of parenting is hard. Nothing is harder than the rest. It's just different. It's all different. I unequivocally so far in my experience, middle school has been the roughest. Um, These kids are mean and it's not just the kids because sometimes they don't know different. You would think they're old enough to know difference, but you know what, when you're growing up in a house where you're either seeing behaviors that you're replicating or you're just not being called out on your shit nothing is going to change. So my biggest takeaway that I've learned from the middle school years so far are that a lot of these moms, they just suck. And I know that sounds really judgy, but the reason I say that is because I, if I see something going on with my kid, whether she's the, well, she's not the aggressor, but whether she's defending herself and it's coming across as mean girl behavior or whether she's just doing something totally wrong that seems like a mean girl thing, she gets called out. She doesn't get to get away with that. And I will make her apologize. It hasn't happened often because she's unfortunately the victim a lot because she's such an empath that she allows herself to be kind of walked all over sometimes. But I have confronted other moms and sent them screenshots from text messages of like things their kids have said. And they're still so deep in denial, staring at their kids' own words that they don't even engage with me. And I'm not doing it to be mean. I'm doing it because I want to fix it. I don't want any child to walk around feeling uncomfortable. Middle school particularly is such an impressionable age. Think about all the things we see about these kids Mm. struggling with mental illness and being bullied on social media and even suicide and all these terrible things that happen because they're not addressed. We as mothers have a job. If you, I feel very strongly, and I know that sometimes people don't feel like this. If you have a child who's under the age of 18, you should be checking their phone, whether it's regularly or sporadically or whatever it is, and not secretly. Let them know that you're checking it so they have accountability. These children are not old enough to navigate some of these tough conversations that are rifled with, rife with emotion and knowing how to come out the other side and, and 
hold their head high and handle it. They get Mm -hmm. angry. They have hormones running through them. It's our job to help them navigate this. It's not our job to hand them a cell phone so they can weaponize it and hurt each other. That's not right. Oh, Rachel, this is giving me chills. Yeah, it's true. And and distraction is a big part of it. And here's here's what I think too, that that kind of remains a check for me. Parents these days are so concerned with their kids being in all the activities, being successful, getting into a good college, studying or like there's a whole other part of a person that has does has nothing to do with your college degree, with your success in athletics. That's our emotional intelligence. And I think that these days there's such a focus and a distraction on making these eventually successful, and I use air quotes because that's such a subjective term, adults, that we forget a whole part of their bodies that need to be developed, their minds and their emotional intelligence, their ability to express themselves. Like that's such an important, listen, I'm not an expert, but for all the experts I've talked with and just noticing struggles with my own kids, it's never about, oh, I'm so upset I got like a B. It's like, oh, I'm so upset someone made fun of me. I need to teach them how to react to that, how to be responsible for their own feelings. Like these are the kind of things that I worry about. And and I, I don't know, maybe I don't do enough of the other stuff. No, I think I'll figure itself out. No, I listen, academics are important. You want your kid to be successful. You want them to, you know, whether they choose to go to college, vocational school, whatever it is, you want them to have the tools they need to succeed. But the the behavioral part of it and the emotional part of it is, in my opinion, more important. I I think it's more important because that's how we're raising self-assured, strong people and women. And if we don't teach our children accountability and, you know, you've seen like you'll have a little kid and you'll be like, say sorry. And they're so slow to say sorry sometimes because there's something inside them that feels like it's it's almost like admitting defeat if you're mm-hmm. saying sorry and i want our ki- kids to feel like it's a strength it's mm-hmm. showing your vulnerability it's showing that you're admitting that you can make mistakes we are all human and we're all going to fall we're all going to do it think of how many times as a mother you have a day you wake up and you nail that day right you're like wow i really killed it today and then the next day you forget to send your kids backpack or you forget a homework assignment or you're driving there to bring lunch like it's an ebb and flow of of mistakes and successes and if we don't teach our children that that's normal that it's normal to fall and to you can fail upward instead of going into this cycle of where you beat yourself up or feel like you're being made fun of by other people, we're not going to raise strong, compassionate children unless we teach them to take accountability. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, Rachel, another thing that you have really been candid about that I think a lot of people have connected with you about is your divorce, starting over, finding a new partner, and blending your families. I know you've talked a lot about this, so people who follow you probably know, but for those who don't, tell us a little bit about, I hate to just make this question generic, but how, how that was, like, how was that? It was terrible. Oh. Um, you know, it's, listen, a divorce, even if you're amicable, divorce sucks. It is the, it is a life change that uproots your family, no matter how much you try for it not to. I thankfully did it with a child who was very young. She was only two and a half when we separated. So I feel like it wasn't easy, but she was so little and malleable that it was easy to make it seem like an adventure and a new lease on life and all that stuff. Um, her dad and I co-parent very well together. We are very involved together in her life, but I did move on. I married someone else and I had a lot of guilt. I had a lot of guilt about what her life would be like having to shuffle back and forth. And then when I had another baby, um, I thought I fucked up my family. I really did. And I wrote a whole article about it for Pop Sugar years ago about how I felt like even though all my child wanted and asked for for years was a sibling, I brought this baby home knowing that babies suck the life out of you and you have to give them so much more. She, my older daughter was eight when my baby was born. And so she was self-sufficient in a lot of ways. So she, a lot of things for her fell to the wayside. And I knew that and I felt guilty about it. It messed with me. It messed with me emotionally. I felt like I wasn't being a good mother. Um, 
excitement, all those normal things you feel as a mother, I think were compounded because I was blending a family and feeling like someone was going to get the raw end of the deal. And that's a terrible feeling to feel as a mother. How did you know your marriage was over? Um, that's such a good question. Everybody asked that. I think that everyone has a threshold, right? When you're in a marriage that you know is sinking, or maybe you suspect it's sinking or you're praying it's not sinking. I think we all have to come to that decision in our own time. And for everyone, it's different. Some women are just really from the get-go when things start going south, they're like, that's it. I'm out. Life's too short. I'm done. And they're really brave and courageous. And they just leave. Um, there are others of us who kind of try everything. We try therapy. We try any kind of counseling we can, deep introspection, all these things to see if it's salvageable. And there wasn't, for me, there wasn't one moment. It wasn't one thing that happened where I was like, well, my marriage is over. I think it was a gradual progression into not feeling like I could exist anymore. I was a shell of myself. I wasn't, I wasn't, my friends would even say to me, I was very closed off. I was very, I'm a very happy, upbeat, extroverted. I call myself a power extrovert. I can talk to anyone, easy to get along with. <laughs> I was not that person. I was like, a, I was shriveling into something I didn't recognize and anything I had, I was pouring into my child so that she would feel some sense of normalcy. And I think I just reached a point where I was like, I can't, as much as it sucks to break up a family, how much worse is it for my child to see her mother like this? Like, mm -hmm. I don't want her to grow up thinking that this is how marriage is supposed to be and that she sees me walking around with like tears streaming down my face and all that stuff. I don't want that for her. I'd, I'd rather go through the stumbling of, you know, navigating a divorce and coming out the other side and her seeing resiliency and strength and all the things that we want our kids to experience. And it, it wasn't easy. It still isn't easy. We've been divorced for over a decade and we still, you know, when you have history with someone, you know how to push each other's buttons. That stuff doesn't go away, but I think you kind of fall into a groove and you can't marry someone who does not want to wholeheartedly take on that step-parent role. And I see this from women all the time who will message me and be like, I hate my stepkids or the, mm. they'll be like, and it kills me because I'm like, you can't leave a marriage and walk into a partnership with someone who does not understand the intricacies of a blended family and that your kid is always going to come first and that you are also not marrying a child. You're marrying an ex. You are mm -hmm. marrying that ex, whether you want to or not. And so if you marry someone who's not gracious about those things and demands a level of attention that you can't give because they're not willing to admit that there's, you know, a kind of different wing of this family, you're not going to succeed and you're not going to be happy even though you've moved on, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not personally divorced, but several of my close friends and family are. And I hear the same thing is that you're, you're marrying a family, your new mm -hmm. spouse or your new partner is marrying into kids and a new partner, but there also is, I don't want to say the shadow of an ex because that's like a really creepy way to put it, but there's the presence of someone there. My kid is screaming in the background. Do you hear it? I'm sorry. Yes, it's, great. it's real life. Stop it. Um, <laughs> okay. Wait, I have to ask you this. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Yeah. Like, okay. So you're divorced now. You are in a new and happier relationship. If you could go back to Rachel, first marriage, Rachel, and like, look at things, were there signs that you missed? Oh yeah. Yeah. Not even that I missed. There were signs I knew. I mean, listen, I don't care what any person says, you know, women's intuition and that gut <clears throat> feeling, that's a real thing. It is very real. You know, when there are red flags, I think for me, I was madly in love and this was my college sweetheart. And I wanted that progression of, graduate college, get a job, buy a house, start a family, all those things. I was willing to ignore all of the sirens that were flashing in my face because I was so desperate to follow that progression. I invested so much time. Yeah. I invested years and years and years, and I, I'm not a quitter. What were the red flags, if you feel comfortable sharing? 
we just, we just were not the same people. You know, we met, we were 18 years old when you're 18. And then even in your early twenties, I listen, I have plenty of friends who married in their early twenties and they are in solid, amazing marriages. When I look at myself in my twenties versus myself now marriage or not, I am not the same person. I don't have the same likes. I don't have the same interests. And I think that we just really had a lot of damage from meeting so young and doing stupid things and growing apart and not seeing eye to eye. And, you know, I just think it was regular life stresses on top of the fact that at our core and our foundation, it wasn't a strong foundation. I think we both wanted it to be, but I just, I just think it wasn't. And it was foolish to think otherwise. I just think it took me a long time to see it. And everyone always asks me, the next question I get is like, well, do you regret it? Do you wish that you would have left earlier? And you know what? I don't, I don't. And I know it's cliche to say, I wouldn't have had my baby. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have had her. And she is everything. I would walk through hell back again 10 million times to go through the, even if I knew exactly how much hurt I was going to go through, I would not change a thing because I think that every moment of that first marriage landed me where I was to be emotionally ready and not take any bullshit in a second relationship. My mm-hmm. my threshold for bullshit was empty. And so when I met Jason, my current husband and final husband, um, when I met Jason, there were no games. There was no, like everything was out on the table and it was so easy because there was no like awkwardness of hiding like certain things of wants and needs and expectations. Everything was out there. And I don't think that would have happened had I not gone through a divorce. Yeah. I mean, it's really tempting to look at you as like a happy ending example. And I'm sure you don't want to be classified or as that either, because it's like, oh, well, like then people hold you up to a standard to be just like, okay, well now you're the example of the perfect, you know, second time around, but you are happy now. And and, like, if there were a lesson in that for women, whether they're at any stage of whether it's separation or in the middle of a divorce, nasty or amicable, or, or in the beginning of that new relationship and trying to test the waters and see if this person is their match, like what's your advice? Listen, I think when you're in any situation, whether it's navigating a divorce or dating someone new, you have to you have to really kind of take a very deep, deep look into yourself and make sure you're being honest with yourself. If you are not being your full-fledged, unfiltered self, saying whatever is on your mind, doing whatever feels right to you and not accepted wholeheartedly by other person, that is not your person because you should not have to, like, I know we joke about wives and, you know, hiding Amazon packages and hiding all these things. I get it. Like, I understand it's a joke. We don't, if you are not, I mean, I'm going to go get Botox. I'm not going to lie to my husband and be like, thank you. I'm not getting, no, he knows. Like I'll say to him, can't, you know, don't you can't, no, we're not having sex right now because I have a face full of dysport and I don't want to mess anything up. So leave me alone. Like I don't want to be like Quasimodo. Yeah. I would No, I'm with you. I think there are a lot of women who are afraid to be their true authentic selves. And I, I don't, while I don't want to be the poster child for the happy ending, I can wholeheartedly tell you, and I know I've used that word like so many times, but it's such like a good word to encapsulate all of this. I am a hundred percent myself. I say crazy things to my husband. Sometimes I get crazy. Sometimes I have like emotional breakdowns right in front of him and I'm never embarrassed or awkward. And there's never that like, Oh God, is he going to run for the Hills? Like, you know, that when you find someone who accepts you for you, it's a very different level of happiness and, um, consistency and Mm -hmm. feeling like you're safe. 
Yeah, I always, the, the Botox day I get, or Dysport day for me, I tell Andrew, I'm like, listen, yeah. you're going to get an Amex alert. It's going to be big. <laughs> I could be the wife that hides it from you, but I'm going to be the wife that tells you. Right. And he always goes, well, you don't need it. I said, I don't need it because Same. I get it. Because right. I get it. That's why right. I don't need it. Because right. my face he, is uh, yeah. it's, it's so weird how that is like, for as frivolous of a thing as that is, how how big of an issue that is. I've talked to all my girlfriends about the Botox conversation. Yep. Some are yep. like, I don't want him to know that I get it. And I'm like, bitch, you're going to get old one day. You better tell him that you're doing something or <laughs> right? he's going to expect you to look 35 forever. And, but, but you know, whatever, not judging. But yeah, I just, I'm just laughing because that conversation in particular, I don't know why it just is such a current issue for a lot of couples. A lot. I mean, I think the deception is, I think people are just scared they're going to be judged even by their partner. Sure. Yeah, and that I makes mean, me sad. That makes me sad because I, I know what that feels like. I get it, but it doesn't have to be like that. And I remember looking before I got divorced, my best friend who also got divorced and remarried before I did, I remember watching her relationship with her new husband and there were no, there was no censorship. Like they talked about exes with each other in detail and like asked crazy questions, all these things. And I was like, I want that. Like, I want to be in that situation. It was so foreign to me to think that that could even be a thing where you could be so free with the way that you acted and felt. And when I met Jason and felt that from the beginning, I was like, holy shit, like this is a thing. This is a thing. And we are, so many of us are settling to stay in relationships. And the other thing that makes me really sad is all these women who will will message or DM or, or in Wednesday confessions, they'll say things like, I'm not, I, I'm not love my, my husband. I'm not happy, but I can't, I'm not going to leave my, I don't want to do that to my children. Or I don't, I can't financially leave. And there's always a way to leave. If you are in an unhappy situation or in an abusive situation, there's women who are settling and staying because they're of the fear of being able to exist on their own, whether it's financially, emotionally, whatever it is. And you can always leave. You always can. I, I want. I don't ever want women to feel like they don't have an out. And I know that sounds like pie in the sky thinking because there's a lot of logistics to consider, but that's why you talk to an attorney and you find out your options. An attorney, A good attorney will say to you, listen, here's what you need to do to be able to leave. Or even like there's financial therapy now. That's a job. That is an actual job. Well, they will talk to you about steps that you can take to make it easier for yourself to take that jump. And you know what? Sometimes something is fixable and you dig deep and you fix it. And sometimes you got to jump. Sometimes you just have to fucking jump and get out of a situation that does not fit you and is not healthy for you and your children. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, there's, I, I can only imagine the things you get in your confession slides. Yeah. Oh, it's, it is. I mean, that has been one of the craziest parts of this whole ride on social media. Um, the things that people are willing to confess, but it also makes sense to me that people are more comfortable confessing to a stranger like me who they're never going to run into mm -hmm. versus someone they're going to see in the target checkout line or the preschool parking lot. And they just like said something crazy. So I get it. Like I get it psychologically, but there's so many people walking around shouldering all these things that are eating them up inside. Another reason to be kind, to accept apologies like you did from the one woman, because dude, we just never know. You just never know what you people are. And women carry on. a lot more on the inside, I think, than we are willing or able to show. Well, you know what's really interesting? When you do become vulnerable and you share the messier sides of life, people come out of the woodwork. And I, when I was getting divorced before I even had like full-fledged social media following, I was getting messages on my personal Facebook from people I knew from my kids' preschool and activities and whatever, who I'd never even had more than a two-second conversation with. And they were messaging me so vulnerable, like, how did you know it was time? And I was like, oh my God, this person's driving a Benz around, like wearing diamonds top to bottom, all like 
kissing their husband and on red carpet events, all this stuff. And there are fractures in this. And so it's just such a life lesson to know that it doesn't matter what you see on the outside. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure people said that about my first marriage too. People were shocked. They were shocked because when you don't, when you're hiding things, because you're afraid for people to see the little cracks in the facade, when that comes out and people see the real truth, they're like, oh my God, this person is not superhuman. They have mm -hmm. flaws and there's flaws in their marriage. And that's just real life. Yeah, I love it. That's why with social media or any presence that I ever put out there, I'd rather be, I'd rather have an ugly grid, you know, with weird, with real stuff happening than a curated, the aesthetic look. And that's not a judgment on someone in this space who is creating content or something that feels aspirational. And I think that's their vibe. But for me, like what speaks to me is seeing the detail, seeing the nuance, seeing the both the good and the bad and, and presenting that version of myself, at least. I know that's not going to be everyone, but speaking right. of social media, like it is it is something that I think we all have to think about going forward, whether we're presenting ourselves front facing to the public for, for work reasons only or for work and personal reasons. Like, you know, I, I don't want to say this because we have enough on our plates, but there is a little bit of a responsibility when you have that giant of a presence like you do to really, um, to include some of that once in a while, because, you know, not that we're responsible for other people's emotional health, because I, you know, I know that that's who's got time for that too, but it is kind of, it's encouraging to the people on the other side. Well, you know, I, when I started this, I started it that way from the beginning. I was never one of those people who showed the perfect way of life because when I started it, frankly, I was in a new relationship, getting married. I was in right. the thick of coming off the heels of a divorce. So I wasn't going to just talk about happy stuff, but even like the surface stuff, like I see all these women who look so put together and beautiful and it's amazing. It is. It's amazing. Like I wish, I'm not even saying it in a judgmental way. I wish that I could wake up and look like I walked out of the salon having a blowout and head to toe, like put together. It's just not, it's not the case. Half the time I have a stain on a piece of clothing I'm wearing. I don't even notice till I get home or something's on backwards or inside out. But it's funny because I think it was like two years ago, everyone's posting like these hot girl summer videos and they're in their bikinis, whatever. I'm like, you know what? No, I posted a hot girl video, hot girl summer video of me using one of those flawless things, taking my mustache off in the mirror, because that's what I was doing to get ready for summer. I was shaving facial hair off that I never mm. even knew in my twenties would be a thing. I'm not going to prance around in a bikini and show you a perfect slice of life. Cause that is personally not my life. It's, right. Maybe it's other people's life. That is not my life. It really can't be though. Let's be honest. If you have a child or you're responsible for another human, that truly can't be. I mean, I respect if you're going to show us the cute bikini pictures, but yeah, do it. at the end bikini, of the day, that can't be all. Don't forget to shave your mustache before you put the bikini on. Oh my on. God. I have this Aaron chin hair. hair. <laughs> oh my God. And it grows out of a mole under my chin. And I always shudder when I pluck it because I'm like, oh, you are looking at me all the time. You know, I'm talking to people and I, it's Rachel, it's like a full I half know, inch long. And I'm like, why didn't anyone clue me into the half inch long black hair growing out of the mole on my chin? Yeah, I've told my husband before, I'm like, if you ever see a hair, like it's, and that's the other thing too. Like, I think women are so scared to admit that like, we're really sometimes just glorified bridge trolls, like with hairs growing out of random places. I have one on the lower part of my back that just pops up. And it's like, if I don't get to it soon enough, it is like, a, it's really long. And then my first, this is how sick I am in the head. I'm like, oh my God, should I take a picture and send it to my best friend? Like, I'm not thinking like, just get rid of it and hide the evidence. I'm like, oh my God, this just came out of my body. This is crazy. So, you know, these are the things people are so scared to talk about because they're afraid they're going to be less sexy or less feminine, or people are going to look at them and judge them. No, who cares? This Everyone's is a real life 
day in the trenches as a mother and a woman. Yes, as a woman. And you know what? It's so refreshing to be able to show up like fully as you are, whether it's with friends or on social media or however you choose to do it. Because like, it's the best feeling when you're like, oh, you too? Like you have that weird clogged pore under your boob when you lift it up or, you know, all of these weird things that we have. You're like, oh. Well, I just, sometimes yeah. you don't know till you talk about it. And I noticed that too. I had a col- I had my first colonoscopy recently because I'm 45 and that's the gift you get when you're 45. Oh, like, great. Like, yeah, happy birthday to me. And when I started talking about that, I was going, I was like getting all the prep and doing my messages were blowing up with women sharing the most like disgusting stories. And I wasn't revolted. I was just like, Oh my God, thank God. I'm not alone. Like, thank God other people understand. But until you go through something and you talk about it, you don't get that feedback because nobody around you wants to be the first one to bring it up. Nobody wants to be like, Oh, say, Hey, you know, like I felt like a, a frozen yogurt machine on the fritz the other day after I did my colonoscopy <laughs> prep. How was yours? Like nobody's having those normal conversations until like you open the floodgates and everyone lets their mess out. That is my favorite part of girlfriends. I'm not even kidding. Like that is my favorite part of my core group of girlfriends when we get together and we talk about everything from sex to medical procedures to like the thing that pissed us off about our husbands that day. We're sharing screenshots of arguments, like all these things. That is like the glory of girlfriends. It is. And you know what? There is women have saved me in my life so many times. And that's why even though we can be crappy to each other and, you know, you brought up that incident with this woman, like random acts of meanness, I believe so much more in the goodness of yes. us toward each other. And yeah. and the way you're showing up, Rachel, is really like, it's a really gifting us a lot of that. So I, I thank you for showing up as who you are on social media because thank that's Thank you. That is so, that's like the biggest compliment you can give me. Like, yes, I want people to call me pretty and funny and all these things. But when someone tells me that there, you know, there's any kind of like meaningful effect in anything that I post, that is like the best thing that I think a writer and someone who's sharing their life so publicly can hear. So thank you. Of course. And I wish we had more time. I'm trying to keep this under an hour because, um, you know, you have many things to do, but I'm going to pop up your Instagram real quick. Guys, if you're watching, you're probably familiar with this, but any favorite posts you want to highlight before we go? I don't know if we can see it. Producer oh, Rachel. I'm really, I mean, I'm, I, I'm into the, I just started TikTok recently and I'm sharing all my TikToks on, um, my Instagram, but I'm really loving like the, these like little, oh, that way, go back. I don't know. Can you play videos or no? Yeah, we can. I think we can. Rage okay, family. So go, go back. There's one of me. It's just my face with my hair in a bun shortly right after. Yeah. That one. This is when my five-year-old discovered the thong song. Oh my God. <laughs> she was five year old to a real classic. And now she won't stop asking Alexa to play it. Here she comes. When you introduce your five year old to a real classic. Does she what? Does she know what a thong is? Oh yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. We, my kids, we have a very, we have a pretty open house here. Like my kids have asked me why my boobs aren't round anymore. Like all those things. I so like it. we have very open conversations about. They're always like, why does that underwear go up your butt? I'm like, well, <laughs> I know you're literally only the height of my ass, but you'll find out one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh my god, it's so fun. Well, um, I didn't even get a chance to ask about the podcast. Tell us briefly about 
everything you're doing and projects you're working on so we can find you and then we'll pop up. Yeah. So everything is on wineandcheesits.com, but I am definitely most active on Instagram, which I know you guys put up. It's at wineandcheesits, wine with an H. Um, That's usually where I spend most of my time. I have a podcast with my 30 plus year friend, platonic male friend, and we're talking all about all the things. He's the in in arena host for the Miami Heat. He's a very well-known person down here also. So we are having the time of of our lives. It's called Friends Without Benefits, and it is on everywhere you find your podcast. It's a pink picture or background with him and I dancing. Um, and I have a book proposal out now with an agent that I'm trying desperately to sell a book. So there for any publishers who are watching who would like to purchase my book that I'm pouring my heart and soul and some laughs into, you know where to find me. This is going to happen for you, Rachel. I hope you know that this is a matter of time and not a matter of if I'm manifesting it. Girl, I'm here. I will be at your book. I'll be at your book launch party if you'll have me. Thank you. Invited myself, Um, Rachel. Thank you for taking time to um, you know spend with us on this otherwise crazy day. This is like normally much more professionally done, but here we are in sweatpants and we're making it happen. So thank you so so much. Thank you. It was so great, and I really appreciate you having me. All right, guys, thank you for watching and or listening. God, this was like a little cleansing of the soul. I love it. I love talking to like nice, normal moms. Anyway, we didn't even get into the dance mom stuff, which is a whole conversation in and of itself, but maybe we'll bring Rachel back soon to do that too. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of We Gotta Talk. If you don't mind, I would love if you could leave a rating and review. Those help this show to get out to people who might find it useful or entertaining. I'm so grateful for your support. Please follow on Instagram at Sunny Abada or check out our latest blog post at wegotatalk.com slash blog. See you next time. 